You're listening to a podcast from the Cinema Geekly Podcast Network. We're the geeks you deserve and the ones you need right now. Episode of I'm a Doctor, not a podcast, Cinema Geekly's Star Trek podcast. It is Chief Petty Officer Anthony Lewis here, flying solo this week. Uh, Fleet Admiral Ben Knight, Lieutenant Commander Aurora Babalu, on vacation, visiting Risa this week. Um, besides, there's no episodes of Star Trek Discovery to talk about. Uh, there is a brand new released scene from Star Trek Discovery's finale will get talked about. Uh, but the primary mission for the episode this week is my chance to sit down and talk with Alistair King, his son Harry, uh, about Alistair's work on our theme song for the podcast. Uh, he uh, rearranged Jeff Russo's theme and uh, I had a chance to sit down and talk with him about what he's done in his career and uh, the reasoning behind him playing around with the, the theme, how it came to be, how we ended up using it, uh, and a bunch of Star Trek stuff in general. In fairness, this is not the first conversation we've had. Uh, we tried to record this a couple of weeks ago, and due to some weird technical issues, it came out sounding really, really bad. So we're re-recording it. Uh, trying not to have the same exact conversation we had the first time. Uh, so hopefully it doesn't sound too unnatural to people recreating a conversation they had two weeks ago uh, and trying to do it for the first time. Hopefully it turns out okay. Uh, I think I think it went okay. You can be the judge, uh, I suppose. Uh, before we hop into that, I want to thank the sponsors this week, ThinkGeek. Head on over to cinemageekly.com slash thinkgeek or click the ThinkGeek link at the top of the page of cinemageekly.com and do some lovely shopping. It benefits ThinkGeek. It benefits you because you get what you want and it benefits us because we get a kickback. It helps support Cinema Geekly whenever you use that link. Uh, and 
talking about Star Trek, talking about Risa, for that matter. <laughs> this thing is crazy uh, on ThinkGeek right now. It's a Horgon candle holder. So if you're familiar with any of the Ryzen episodes of Star Trek, then you remember the Horgon. It is the Ryzen fertility symbol. So if you're seeking Jamaharon, or Jamaharon, uh, maybe <laughs> this Ryzen candle will help set the mood. Uh, or maybe your significant other will just look at you weirdly when it arrives. But either way, a conversation piece is what you'll be getting. Uh, and look, if that's not your thing, there's tons of other great Star Trek merch from ThinkGeek. Uh, and you can pick it up today using our link, cinemageekly.com slash ThinkGeek. All right, let's go to the interview now. Me sitting down with Alistair King and his son, Harry. Okay, we'd like to welcome into the show at this time uh, Alistair King and Harry King. Hello. Nice Hello. To, nice to talk to you guys again. Uh, hopefully, this go around, uh, this one will finally make it onto wax, as they used to say a long time ago. Uh, I, maybe I'm dating myself with that reference. <laughs> yes. I'm sure you get it. I get it. I get it. Harry has no idea what you're no, talking I'm about. Just, I'm just here. <laughs> yeah, so putting it on wax, I think, relates to, you know, when they used to make vinyls, uh, I think. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. And, and, and it'll be down to the when they had 78 revolutions per minute and things. Mm-hmm. I, thought, yeah. I don't know. I thought kids were into vinyl. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're not into vinyl. It's 78 RPM. I mean, they're still no, no, into no. the... Yeah. Yeah, my daughter's got a vinyl collection, so including mm. including some old stuff. Uh, but you know what? Not here to talk about that kind of music today. Uh, we're here to finally, hopefully for good, get this conversation down uh, about Star Trek, its music, and the music uh, you did for our podcast. Although you didn't specifically do it for the podcast uh i i sort of discovered it by happenstance uh without knowing who you were beforehand or that you had worked uh and continue to work within the industry Uh, i just thought you were some random youtube guy uh who had uh thrown together uh, a a a remix or a or a special take on the star trek discovery theme uh, but as it turns out, you have some bona fides behind uh, your work. You've done you've done a little bit of work in uh, film and television, a tiny bit, uh, which is I, I think uh, understating it slightly. You've got a lot of credits to your name, but word. Uh, so the first time we talked, I think I asked how you got involved in um, in film and television, uh, but. I, to mix it up a little bit, something actually that I thought about later was how did you get involved in, I mean, everybody has a connection to music, pretty much everybody, uh, when they're young, but so like, where did that start? Like, how did you get, was it, was it, uh, like before school even, or was it something that you discovered in school or later in life? How did you get into to just music wanting to do it? I mean, I think you're right in saying that everyone has this connection to music music is this fascinating thing that is beyond words uh, and has such this 
resonance with everyone. I mean, the, everyone has a piece of music they absolutely love that mm. they will uh, it will transport them back to a time and place quite often, or it makes them feel in a way that nothing else does. And I think that's one of the wonderful things is music is it, it's regardless of uh, money, education, class, color, creed. Everyone in the world, in some ways, moved by music. Mm. Um, and I don't think I was particularly different from anyone else, really. It was just a case. My father used to play the uh, organ mm. and the piano a little bit at home. So I remember uh, really lying, uh, liking to sleep at night or go to sleep with him playing. That was something that really soothed me. I really enjoyed hearing it. It wasn't even any particular piece. I just liked the sound of it. Sure and had piano lessons uh, in a little group early on. And uh, quite soon after, the piano teacher did say to my parents, mm, he probably needs to have lessons on his own so he can make, you know, he's making faster progress. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I did and uh, continued to play the piano through school, but also did other activities as well. And, and some of them now I look back on and think, Ah, actually, that that was little more important in terms of uh, how it shaped my future. So yeah. messing around with electronic keyboards, and they were reasonably new at the time, and, and sequencing and things. I was quite interested in the sounds they made and putting sounds together and, and being able to hear these arrangements. Yeah. And, of course, this was all just done in my bedroom. No one else was really hearing it. But now I think back on it, actually, this was early days of experimenting with organizing sound which is essentially what i do now mm. so and then the getting into the business is something we talked about before but not nobody's heard it uh but i if i recall the story correctly it sort of happened by accident right absolutely yes yes i had no idea about the film and tv industry um you know i enjoyed music that was on films but i hadn't really thought of uh, being involved in any way simply because i didn't know anyone who was involved um and, and so you, you just sort of accept this is what happens on these things um and then someone was in the audience of a concert of a classical piece of mine that was being played i say classical it doesn't sound like mozart it, it sounds like someone from the uh, late 20th century but mm -hmm. uh, she was in the audience and said wow uh, I liked your piece. My brother is looking for a little bit of help uh, on uh, on the film and TV projects he's working on. Would you be interested in meeting him? Yeah. And uh, so I said, sure, why not? And uh, it, absolutely just curiosity at that point. And I went down to meet him, and my expectations that he would be sitting there with the piano and playing something, and go, what do you think? And go, well, maybe you could put you know, the melody on the French horn here, and we could have some gentle violins accompanying it, and maybe some pizzicato or something underneath. Mm. And to my great surprise, uh, it wasn't just a piano. In fact, he, he took me into this room, which was a converted garage, and he had banks of computers and uh, samplers and synthesizers and said yeah what do you think of this and press the space bar and suddenly this whole orchestra came out of the speakers and I really sort of stood there for a minute thinking what on earth do you need me for um, it, it just sounded well everything's there mm -hmm. uh, but what I soon discovered was 
just because it's in the computer doesn't mean it's ready for the musicians to play. There's a certain translation process that's required uh, to accurately put it onto the page so that the musicians can understand it um, and it to, to sound like that and hopefully better because we're obviously putting real players onto it. And it's, it was like Pandora's box had been opened for me. I just loved the immediacy of all these sounds. I love uh, the fact that you could kind of do anything you know you could do anything that wasn't necessarily possible in the real world if you wanted for example an alto flute which is actually a very quiet instrument mm -hmm. to be louder than the whole brass section uh going full tilt well you could never actually do that uh in a concert hall that's just an impossible balance however in the recording studio we record the brass separately and then you record the alto flute separately and then during the mix you can put yep. them at whatever relative levels you like. And so I really love the idea that you weren't restricted by, in many ways, real-world restrictions in terms mm -hmm. of uh, the creative process. That's right. Uh, I mean, uh, and also I loved... It, sure. Exactly. And I, and I loved how music related to picture as well. I mean, because, of course, it's not just the sound of the music itself. It's very much part of uh, the craft of putting it all together and making... Absolutely you know making it lock in with the pictures and the dialogue and the effects and it should be a seamless whole it should be something that helps enhance what we see in front of us Absolutely. rather than yes. something that that's just kind of tacked on at the end that sounds pretty but actually doesn't have a huge amount of uh, relationship to to the screen um so to uh to blow your own horn then pun intended i guess uh what have you worked on i guess let's just name, rattle off a few things that you've worked on that would be well known to say the audience of like this show. So nerdy, nerdy folk like myself. Hmm. Uh, I'd imagine most people have heard of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So I got to work on two of the Harry Potter films, the order of the Phoenix and the half blood prince. And that was with uh, Nick Hooper, who was the composer on those movies. Uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, last year that was terrific that was rupert gregson williams and i worked on the martian which is harry gregson williams um a doctor who with of murray course. gold and that, that was terrific i worked for uh, a couple of series on that one as well uh so yeah i think that's a fairly good list what, what else do you think they might have heard of oh my goodness i mean i i don't know we, we when we talked before i was kind of caught up just going up and down uh going up and down the list of things i mean t to me the thing that really caught my attention the most was that you worked on kingdom of heaven which um i guess people aren't as fond of the theatrical cut and that's where they sort of left it at there is a director's cut which i'm a huge fan of uh that's the the version i own uh yeah. And it's me and, and Glenn, who also uh, does shows with me on the site, like we're huge fans of that particular cut of the movie. So when I saw that you worked on that, uh, that blew my hair back. I, I, I imagine when people do talk to you about uh, your work, I, I gather that one probably doesn't come up as often. No, you're absolutely right. And, and that but, is a, 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 um, a project that I do have a fondness for because I think Harry Gregson Williams just wrote an amazing score for that. Mm -hmm. I think he somehow squared the circle of having a historical uh, 
resonance in there for time and place but yet it was a, a contemporary film score mm-hmm. as well um yeah. and uh, obviously ridley scott is just a wonderful filmmaker uh, obviously alien and blade runner and gladiator and you know yeah. so to to be on on a project with uh, people of that caliber was just brilliant and uh, and it looks amazing kingdom of heaven as well i think it's got some of the most beautiful cinematography of anything i've worked on it's just astonishing mm-hmm. and and it's really really sad that it actually didn't do as well in the cinema as i think potentially it could have i'm, I'm not sure whether the casting was necessarily absolutely right sure, sure. um but uh, yeah, you know, there, there's there's a lot to enjoy in that it's, film. So. Yeah, it's not a perfect movie, but it, I don't know, it's it's that that was one of those things that, uh, that that struck me in your in your credits. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many people who've listened to Cinema Geekly shows in the past, they'll probably be like, oh yeah, that's the movie that you like with the other guy on the show who likes that movie too. I don't know necessarily how many of the people who listen have, have, have watched the movie, but I, I would recommend it, but, uh, it doesn't necessarily fit into, it's, it's not like Lord of the Rings. It's very, it's much more period piece than it is. It's swords and shields and stuff, but it's not swords and shields and dragons and wizards. So uh, sometimes that tends to have more appeal to our audience uh, than, than a straight up period piece. But um, no, yes, I love yes. I, I think because it isn't fantasy and it has a historical basis, yep. um, they, they probably had to be a little more careful in terms of interpretation. Sure. 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 Uh, so I guess we should probably dive into the Star Trek stuff since that's what this podcast is about. Uh, and you did uh, do the arrangement of the Jeff Russo theme uh, that we are using on the podcast. So if my memory serves correct from the last time we chatted, uh, Harry, was it you, were you the inspiration for the, the, the playing around with the theme? Like, where did that idea come from? Was that your idea? Did you just tell them you should mess around with it? Or were you guys talking well, about the theme? Yeah, we were just, uh, well, we watched the, first couple episodes on Netflix as soon as it came out. We were really excited for it. And we had a look and then we listened to the theme and we thought, do you know what, we could we could do something to this. Like remix it up. Maybe we can do something. Sounds like a cool project. Mm-hmm. And just all there from them. Here we are now. But just I mean, for fun. And yeah. yeah. It's because we really liked it. I mean this is the yeah. thing we 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 sort of bonded over uh discovery um, it, it, because it was new to both of us. It wasn't just me saying, here's something I remember from my past. Sam, you should look at this. It's called a wax cylinder. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a, uh, you know, we were both in kind of, we, it was literally discovery for both of us. Sure. And uh, we just thought, yeah, it kind of be, you know, because we really like the theme. We really like what Jeff's done, uh, not only with the theme, but with the score. And so it was just a, a way of playing around with it and maybe just adding lots of other kind of Star Trek uh, musical isms into it uh, in a way that wasn't necessarily about representing what the show is on screen, but actually more of a broad uh, sort of Star Trek overview. Yeah. So when we talked before, uh, you, in a lot of ways, you reopened my eyes and ears to the to the original theme because I just 
as a casual viewer, I just thought of it as the theme to the show. And I didn't read a whole... I mean, and look, I'm not sure of of Mr. Russo's intentions. Maybe he, you know, did do all of this stuff in mind. Maybe we're reading into it. I'm not aware of his intentions, but uh, the way you were describing it, it made it seem like it, in fact, was the perfect theme for the show that they delivered in season one. That Yes. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Well, um, yes, essentially, I, th- I think Jeff certainly knew what a Star Trek theme is and what the uh, the elements that make us recognize a Star Trek theme when we hear it, or actually, in the case of something like Enterprise, when it isn't a Star Trek theme. And so Star Trek themes tend to have um, essentially chords that are outside of the scale to make us think space this is something if you if you think of the um the original star trek theme i've got a piano right here conveniently so we've got the theme um so of course we're all thinking that uh, little scale it run but actually what's going on underneath is here we are c major now in c major we should have these kind of chords diatonic and the the second chord they use when the theme gets going is actually outside of that so we go and i think in many ways that's something that gives us uh, a recognizable star trek imprint Mm -hmm. into into uh into the theme so if we look at uh for example the um theme by michael giacchino outside or the uh, theme from uh, Wrath of Khan um, which goes something uh, again we get these chords outside of of the key that is in mm-hmm. uh, and, and it gives us i guess this impression of space of size i mean in search for spock otherworldliness uh, yeah yeah absolutely and in a funny way i think that's probably come from holst uh, the planet suite which i think uh, many people know uh, and the famous uh, bit is the uh, God of War, but actually in there, there's the later movements that have this kind of eeriness, and he does exactly the same kind of trick of just um, sort of pivoting through these slightly different chords. And uh, that's very much, um, I I think, what Star Trek does. So um, if we look at the discovery theme, which uh, the main bit is. Then he goes to the chord outside of the key. Um, 
so not only is there this kind of harmonic route that gives us the the, um, the Star Trek sound, but there's also uh, something that's quite noble about all the themes as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite important as well. So um, they're not kind of little kind of tinkly running around themes. They're they're all pretty quite strong. Um, if you think of Next Gen. <laughs> That's a march, and and again, it, it does a few chords outside of the key, um, and everything has this nobility to it. Yes. So I think he was certainly. Uh, I I suspect Jeff knows his Star Trek very well, and he knows his musical Star Trek very well, uh, which is why he was able to uh, conjure up a theme that had all the right elements while still being new. Yeah. So I, when we when we talked about it before, it we had the. Obviously, the difference, at least to me, between uh, Jeff's theme and your arrangement of it, uh, it's that you, in, in his theme, it, and, and I noticed it the first time I heard it, is that it had that twinkle of star. It was just one of those things that nerdy Star Trek people, if they hear it, it's just one of those inside feelings. Like, it, you got that feeling like, this is Star Trek, but it... He also somehow managed in some way, and maybe maybe some of it is just because it's new and different, and new and different is weird, even with things that you love a lot, if they're doing something new and different with it. And maybe that played a part in it, too, but it also got this sort of, it felt familiar but unfamiliar at the same time, but the whole, the whole first season kind of treaded that line of this feels like Star Trek, but also kind of not. And then by the end of the first season, it very much felt like Star Trek. Uh, and to me, the feeling that I got with your arrangement was that, and as you noted before, that you were sprinkling, I guess for lack of a better word, uh, more Star Trek-isms into it. Kind of, for me, gave me like that warm blanket comforty feeling of like, if oh, if only they had made Discovery in 1996. Uh, or something like that. Perhaps the theme would have sounded something like that. Um, at least, I, I, I mean, I'm not even sure if that was what you were going for, uh, or whose idea it was, or whose idea it was to to sprinkle in uh, more stuff like that. Yes, it was probably. Uh, I'm probably guilty of uh, just kind of throwing in lots of kind of references. You know, we've got a bit of a thumping DS9 bass line and and the timpani. The, uh, which is the Voyager, um, uh, and some sort of a going on in the violins, which is a little bit more like a, a next-gen thing. So it's almost like a tribute to the whole franchise in there, as well as uh, obviously playing around with Jeff's new iteration. Uh, and the sort of the most, I guess, the most interesting decision to make, because I was obviously having to write it down and and watch it against picture was when we get to the star trek logo when it says star trek we actually see it in discovery Mm -hmm. um normally in the other star treks this is a really big kind of payoff moment uh this is when it either kicks in in next gen or or just gets bigger in most of the other shows it's the and what happens in uh, star trek discovery is it actually kind of falls apart at the Mm. moment uh that we get to the title sequence which you think 
huh? What? Uh, uh, okay, that's interesting choice. Yeah, they certainly handled it differently than other title sequences where you sort of get uh, in... This sort of followed the pattern from from TOS. Not every show had the the Captain's Oath, or whatever it is called beforehand. Only TOS and, and Next Gen did that, I believe. But the all the title sequences sort of followed a similar thing, even though DS9 and Voyager didn't have uh, Janeway or Cisco reciting some phrase, it would start very slowly, but with like some shots of space, and then you would get the title card for the show, and that's usually when the theme would kick into gear. Yeah. Where Discovery, the title the the title scene works in reverse where you get all the names and everything sort of picks up but then the title card is at the end uh instead of instead of near the beginning but they've also i mean that's you know not even the first thing that would come to mind and as to what's different about i mean that they did uh this is the first time they did a title card where it's all you know uh done with you know computer graphics and they're doing drawings and illustrations and uh you know fancy artwork and stuff instead of doing you know space shots and planets and ships whizzing by and things like that uh they they did stray away from that a little bit in enterprise uh but not not too much there are still plenty of space shots and ships going by and things like that as well uh but yeah so there's like a lot different about how they handled um the credits Yes, and I actually really like how it works with the show because mm-hmm. you see the Star Trek Discovery logo and the music just kind of falls apart. Yeah. And in many ways, what that is is kind of a metaphor for the whole thing. Essentially, poor old Starfleet literally falls apart during mm-hmm. that first season. You know, yeah. the, the things that make it Starfleet that we come to know about honour, um, about essentially a moral compass, all of that kind of falls by the wayside. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's a really, if you didn't know it and you could only base something and you think, oh, actually, this show is about something going wrong. Yeah. It's gone up and it kind of then just falls apart on that title card. So, um, initially, when you see it, I think there's, there's some sort of, ah, it's a strange choice. But then you realize, actually, that's a terrific choice. That's really good. Um, but you have to stick with it for a few episodes to realize actually that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry, so you were the one who thought maybe you guys could, or you guys were talking and thought you guys could do something with the theme. So what was what was it like for you going through the the whole process? I know when we talked last time, you were you were kind of like the the testing ground for uh, for how the theme was turning out. So what was it like for you? kind of going through this whole thing well it's kind of difficult to say because my, my father was like was pitting it putting all together and then i would just give an opinion and kind of just say or say this is how it's done and <laughs> well yeah yeah but but i yeah. mean you were you're like fresh ears to this yeah uh, we i mean for for guys like your dad and myself, we've heard all the Star Trek music. We know what Star Trek music is. Uh, I, you know, I think you know, you being younger, you've got a a fresh pair of ears, a different perspective on what sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, how much how much input did you really have? I mean, were there times where you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound good to me? 
Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, once, but that was once, and uh, it was only just at the end part of it, I thought, hey, we should do something a bit more twinkly, and Dad thought, nah, let's do something a bit more <laughs> big and exciting, so... Who won that debate? Well, who's writing the music? Yeah. <laughs> No, but actually, yeah. as much as he may have lost that little battle, um, yeah, generally, what he had, he comes in with fresh ears, and he will. He's very good at finding something. Oh, that doesn't sound so good. And even if he can't necessarily articulate exactly what it is, he can sort of pinpoint an area that's not quite right, and then we can have a look at it. And ah, yeah, it's, it's this, it's this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's really useful because after you've been working on anything for any length of time. Uh, you no longer hear it properly. I mean, you just you you think sure. what you're hearing is is the truth, but it's not. You're you're hearing what your brain goes. That would be nice. Make sure yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. like that, and, and so you're lulled into this sense of oh, you know, oh, everything is fantastic. And then he'll come in and uh, and he'll be honest with it, and and that's really good. Um, and I'll say perspective yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, and also he's a fan and and so you know we we talked about some of the choices mm-hmm. being made before uh, we did them you know could it be what do you think but here here or uh, you know all of those things so so uh harry was was this your first dive into star trek or have you watched star trek before this i mean to be honest i've been a, the first episode of star trek i've watched was a was a tng episode when it was about Nine, ten, hmm. possibly around there, and I um, and it was the episode where Riker went mad. Oh so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that that put a real impression on me. That was a great episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, bit scary for me at that time, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was very Inception. It was very much like it was like Inception a lot, where he was in a dream within a yeah. dream within a dream. Yeah. Um, it, it just, Scared me a lot there, but then I um. Did you then, did you catch on from there, or were you just kind of in and out of paying attention to it? I was kind of in and out, and then probably about a couple months, years. I don't know. It's been it's been a while, but later, um, I just thought, hey, can we watch another Star Trek, which isn't so uh, terrifying? And <laughs> I just TNG just. Put in, I fell in love with it, and so I've been. So I've watched loads TNG, Voyager, bit of the original, bit of Enterprise, mm-hmm. and now New Discovery, and it's amazing. Yeah. So you were a fan of uh, of season one then of the show. Looking forward to the second season, oh, I presume. Yeah, yeah. That is, if they do it, and I would be honestly very, very angry if they didn't do a second season. Yeah, yeah. They're. I mean, they're definitely. They're definitely inferred. Uh, I think they announced pretty shortly after the first season started airing that they had already got a second season greenlit. I think they uh. were. I think it mostly relied on not on not on Netflix, who at least from my understanding helped heavily finance the first season. Uh, at least that was the story going around. But I think a lot of it had to do with uh, CBS, who owns the television rights. Uh, to Star Trek, I think it really revolved around how happy they were going to be with the signups to their 
uh, their streaming service in the United mm. States, which is the only way to watch it here uh, legally. And uh, should note that for the record, I did <laughs> I did watch it legally, everyone. I did purchase CBS All Access, uh, literally only for the only for the duration of the duration of the show. Uh, once the season was over, I canceled my subscription, and I won't be renewing until next year uh, or whenever the show comes back. But uh, they were really apparently very happy with the growth they saw from. Uh, the or the signups that they saw from the show. So, yeah, they they got a second season greenlit. I think they've I think they start shooting it in the second season. I think start shooting in I want to say May or June. I'm pretty sure one one of the producers had said May or June or something like that. So, uh there'd definitely be a second season. Um Alistair, what did you did you are you I mean, do you agree? Uh, with your son's appraisal on, on season one of Discovery? Yeah, I mean, we loved it. We loved all of it. Um, yeah. I, we loved the fact that um, everyone was a potential redshirt. There was no one who was seemingly safe uh, each week. Um, uh, we really loved the, the fact that it was just one long uh, story arc so that you know, it wasn't just reset each each week and you watch it in a different order. It was the, the cliffhanger kind of each week and, and you're looking forward to the next episode. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I thought Jeff's uh, score was just perfect for it. I think it uh, caught the darkness, but there was uh, enough emotion in there to actually really help us invest uh, in some of the characters, especially Burnham and Lorca. Um, I thought the characters were interesting and I thought they were quite good at drip feeding uh, we don't really know that much about the bridge crew even now, which is quite interesting yeah. because normally, you know, by the end of the first couple of episodes, you pretty know, you know, the backstory of most of these these characters. So it was quite interesting they didn't kind of go down that path to begin with. Um, right. Yeah, and and it was, you know, there's still lots of questions unanswered, and that's really good. You know, how long has Lorca? being the alt universe for an hour universe is that's a very long time because clearly he's been a captain and whoa 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 spoilers people may have we not don't seen know it. oh yeah sorry well, of course spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> yeah um but yeah so how long has you know Lorca been in our universe what really happened uh to the other discovery uh you know will other people from the alt universe come into ours there's lots of ways they can go with it so uh, in fact, there's already a, a thread that they've they've opened up, uh, at least as we record this anyway, for uh, the second season. I, they So they released, uh, I think they did, there was a, a con here called WonderCon, which I think there was a Discovery panel, and they released what I thought was originally probably a deleted scene or something like that, something that hit the cutting room floor. Uh, for the season finale, but the way that they presented it really made it sound like because uh, at least in at least in fandom, there's kind of this rule that deleted scenes don't count as canon. If it didn't make it into the movie or it didn't make it into the show, then it's not a part of the universe. So to say something was deleted or cut from it usually means it doesn't count, and you can't count that. So don't you know? Don't think of it as as part of the story. But the way that they presented this clip, because they showed it at WonderCon, and they also put it up on the internet for everybody to see, was presented in a way that I think they didn't want you to think of it as a deleted scene. 
because they kept calling it a bonus scene oh. uh, that they said that they originally planned to put in the finale. Uh, it was after Burnham and Giorgio, uh, after their confrontation on Kronos. Uh, and they said <laughs> it was originally meant for the finale, but instead they wanted to show it to everybody at WonderCon, which is a weird way of putting it. Like, you know, you know when they were filming the scene that they're like, you know what, this would be better served if we showed it to people at a comic book convention. So was uh, the convention before or after the uh, finale went out? Oh, this was well after. This was just okay. a couple of days ago. Right. Uh, and if you don't mind, it's not really a spoiler spoiler. It's not, re it's a spoiler if you haven't watched the clip or any of the show. So if you haven't watched the show, spoiler spoiler, but uh, the clip is essentially um, Giorgio on her own in some place. I don't know if it's someplace she's established on her own that she owns or someplace she lives. I'm not sure, but she is uh, approached by a man who's trying to recruit her and she thinks he works for Starfleet and he in fact reveals that he works for Section 31 which is the super secret underbelly of Starfleet uh, if you've watched especially Deep Space Nine I think they delved into yes. Section 31 a lot but it's also in Enterprise a little bit uh, as well uh, but that's like the super secret underbelly of the Federation and he tries to recruit her and he gives her a box. And when she opens it, the box has a black badge in it, which answers the questions from earlier in discovery when they showed uniformed officers with black badges and people had no idea what they meant. Uh, apparently it means section 31. I mean, that raises mm. some questions like why would a super secret agency where uh, a sign plastered <laughs> yes. on their chest to be like, I'm part of a super secret agency. Uh, maybe they didn't think anyone would think of that. I don't know. But uh, the way they presented it, they did not present it as a deleted scene. And I think the feeling is that this will be some sort of thread for the second season or will they'll be dealing with something along those lines. And um, the Giorgio character will probably be returning uh, as well, I presume. Uh we we were speculating on the show that she would come back in some form like some sort of like a a character like how Q was in Next Gen, where he was kind of like a a constant foe, but he would only show up occasionally. Uh, yes. I think maybe he showed up uh, half a dozen times or whatever throughout the run of the show. Yes, and wasn't necessarily always the villain. Either. He was a vi yeah, he was a villain ish. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. And that's interesting. They may well be keeping uh, a certain darkness about it. They're not all going to suddenly go, okay, and everything's fine now, and the war's over. And, and so it, it's clearly going to have <laughs> some tension going on there still. Okay, so I want to. What was that, Harry? It's not going to be happy times with bunny rabbits and butterflies. No, no. It's it doesn't, gonna... seem like, doesn't seem like that's what they're going for with this. No. Show. <laughs> Um, yeah, I want to I want to jump back in and talk about um, the music real quick. Uh, in in general, for Star Trek, because you were talking about earlier how um, not only do people have their uh, connections to music, but how music and film and television really come like the pictures and the the music really come together to make something 
special, and it's full of that stuff for me, too, in Star Trek. I was just wondering, Alistair, what your, uh, at least musically, like, this, some of your favorite stuff from Star Trek. Uh, uh, I, e- either, either, either favorite pieces of music or... Or the way the music works together with a particular scene. Yeah, I mean, it was some of the first music that really struck me from Star Trek was obviously the opening of TOS. Um, uh, and you sort of just hear those. You know. I mean, that's such a brilliantly simple opening that represents the stars... But it's also this uh, little call, and, and as soon as you hear it on the TV, oh, Star Trek's on, Star Trek's on, Star Trek's on. Yeah, uh, it's something maybe about yeah. those, those higher frequencies, perhaps, you know, sort of really ring out. And then that kind of noble, that noble fanfare as well. And, and, and you, you know you're off on an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember from the early uh, TOS ones, uh, when Kirk got into a fight there was pretty much, and he'd always have a fight with an alien. And yes. that's what he loved to do. Take his shirt off and have a fight. Um, and, and they were ripped at least. Yeah. Yeah, at exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, and they always had that music and it was usually, you know, the music was actually sometimes more exciting when you looked at it than the fight oh, sequence the itself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so that was, yeah, that was something I really liked in that. And then obviously we got into the films and it's funny. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, the glorious, thing, obviously Jerry Goldsmith, um, an amazing Star Trek composer for the movies, but also James Horner's two scores for Wrath of Khan and, and Search for Spock, Spock, I yeah. think are right up there as well. Um, I think they're brilliant. Yeah. I yeah. Love them. Um, James Horner was quite young at the time and you can really feel him just throwing kind of all his energy and resources and imagination into them. I mean, he had this um, brilliant Klingon theme. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. Yeah, and the main titles themselves, which just um, kind of made even more spacey than the first movie. I'm um, a sucker for uh, his... Uh, his music in search for Spock when the, uh, the enterprise is escaping space dock. Yes. I don't know, I'm a big, I'm a big sucker for that theme, which is crazy. Cause it's like the ships, especially in, in those movies. Uh, I mean, you know, they kind of, they kind of maintain this kind of throughout, but they had the, those, the submarine like movements, like it was very slowly making its way out, but, his score was very tense and swelling and it, and it built up to, you know, like a, a moment when they finally get out, which is weird. Uh, kind of like the juxtaposition really of how tense it was and how slowly the ship was moving. Uh, I don't know. It's just something about that music and that, you know, that's one of those things it's, I will, it's search for Spock is not one of my favorite movies, uh, in the pantheon of Star Trek films, it's not on the bottom of the list, but it's, you know, it's not on the top of the list either. It's somewhere in the middle. But for some reason, that music and that scene, it's just seared into my head. Like, I won't, I, I can never forget, like, that one particular moment. Uh, and I think that's sort of what we're talking about, how music and, and moving pictures come together 
to do those things. And one, I mean, it would not be, it would not be the same without the music, without the context. If it's just the ship slowly backing out of its parking spot, yeah, uh, it's nothing. Uh, it's just a shot of a ship moving backwards, but with all the context and with the music, it, it makes for a moment. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it, it makes it more than the, the images would on their own uh, portray. It gives a depth to it and uh, gives us other meanings as well, apart from the ship is moving. I mean, this yes. is sometimes uh, music obviously has to play varying roles in films. And sometimes yeah, it's kind it, of a character. Yeah. It, and sometimes it's about reflecting what's going on on screen. But other times it, it's bringing us this other maybe subtext that we're not necessarily aware of just straight away looking at the pictures. Um, that, that's enhancing the, the, I guess the, the depth of our enjoyment of it. Yeah, uh, and that's one of those occasions that there's, you know, there's no dialogue or anything to worry about. So, you know, the music can uh, really take center stage. I don't know how I feel about, um, like, like four. My, I know a lot of people love four. I was never a big fan of the soundtrack. And maybe I'm missing something on that one. No, no. I mean, there's a certain um, the main theme. It is a... mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain blandness about it, to be quite honest. Yeah. I mean, it I mean, it's <laughs> sounds it's kind of rude. Of... It's okay, but it's not. It's you know, yeah. I... and it's sort of bouncy. It sort of fits with the fun that they're having doing time traveling and being fishes, you know, fish out of water in the 1980s. Uh, I mean, there is that to it, but... Yes, I mean, uh, I mean it's I... a very different film from the first three as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's much uh, much more down-to-earth in every possible sense. Mm. Uh, and it's not trying to deal with big questions or anything. It, it's much more... It's almost like a caper movie, mm-hmm. in a funny way. Um, so, yeah, it sort of fits, but it, even so, it's still... It's okay. You know, it's a... It's serviceable, but it doesn't have the you know what James Horner brought into it into the previous two films. It didn't have that. Oh, you know, it doesn't take your breath away particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, then Jerry Goldsmith came back and uh, First Contact and things, which is that's a great theme. Uh, I think uh, they did for First Contact. Yeah, and again, it's got the nobility, but it's almost uh, something. It's almost like he could somehow get away with it not being so obviously Star Trek. There's something... Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it is, because it reminds me of Jurassic Park, and I've been thinking about... Does A it little sh- bit, yeah. Yeah, but it isn't... Uh, I'm trying to... Does it share any musical DNA? Not really. I've been trying to analyse it. Is it the same chords? Is it the same... Not really, but somehow... I, I don't... It's like hints of it or something. Yeah. But, uh, and to, to tie things all back together, on that soundtrack... Uh, he worked with his son, Joel Goldsmith, uh, for First Contact. Ah, see, good uh, father and son combination. Yes. Always, yeah. always works the best. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you think of? Um, what do you think of some of the newer stuff that uh, that Michael Giacchino has done? Yeah, I mean, uh, just that the theme he's done is just a great Star Trek theme. It's. Uh, yeah. You know, you're just looking for it, and there's a real kind of yes when you hear it each time it comes back, and he's established that very well. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah no very very happy with the the jj abraham's sort of reboot uh we've um just we enjoyed the the franchise anyway i mean this is something i think that i think they did that really well in terms of how do they recast it without it being a parody uh but at the same time they've still got to be the same characters so i think ultimately now that we've sort of run through the pantheon of star trek music uh I think the real question here is, are you going to tackle any more Star Trek-related music in the future? I know the first time we talked, uh, and I think you sort of brought it up, but I backed you up on this, that you wondered if it was possible to do something with the theme from Enterprise. And it's only been rekindled in my mind because I recently got Enterprise on Blu-ray to replace my old DVD copies. And really sparked in my mind that uh, I really think that show could do with a with a newer theme. Uh, I don't know. I honestly, I, I mean, we're kind of joking around about it a little bit, but I'd honestly be curious to to hear if you could do something different than, than so what's I, there. Are you thinking that taking essentially the um the theme that's already there and somehow star trekking it or actually something new. Um, I mean, I'd kind of be interested. I mean, if you, if you took it, uh, if you did something completely new, I think, I mean, cause I'm a, I'm a visual guy more than I am, more than I am auditory or like reading something. Uh, <coughs> I, I don't know. I'd have to take a, take a peek at it with like, the overdubbed with like the credits or something or dubbed over the, the original title sequence or whatever. But, um, I mean, that would be interesting, but I'd also be interested. I think I'd actually be far more interested if you could take the, the music and trekify it in some way. Uh, I know we talked about how, um, you thought the, um, the end credits are the real theme to that show because it fits the mold of, a Star Trek theme uh, far better than than the the song that they used, uh, but I'd still be kind of curious if if something could be done with that. Yeah, I don't know. It I mean, is difficult. Think, I mean, you've you've listened to it a lot of times, I'm sure. Well, not so much. We, funnily enough, we were actually watching um, Harry and I were watching some Enterprise episodes yesterday mm. uh, on Netflix, and as soon as the title music started, Harry just reached for the remote control <laughs> and just was skipping through it. Skip intro. He just <laughs> couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't bear it, could you? Set your teeth on it. Mm, I don't. Well, I don't it is a long road getting from there to the end of the <laughs> for sure. It's true. I mean, the thing is, I mean, you know. stop. Ah. <laughs> ah. I think I don't know. I think something could be done with that. I'm not sure what. I don't have the skill or the the ears for it, but. I don't know. I feel like it's, it, it, I don't know. It feels bare bones, but it feels like there could be something there that you could make that into a Star Trek song. Uh, you know, but I mean, if all else fails, I would say you're more than welcome to develop something new that fits over those. Yeah. No, uh, fits over those credits. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it going, yeah, this, this would be a really hard thing to do. Uh, and really a challenge. Yeah. Really challenging, really foolhardy to even try it. 
Great, let's have a go then. Yeah, why uh, not? The best the best decisions in life come from foolhardy decisions. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I, I can get to a point, point where Harry is able to stand in the same room while that theme music is going on, then I know I've succeeded. He, I think, he's my benchmark. You know? Yeah, I think I think that's an even better benchmark than before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like the um, a vampire to garlic. If you disguise it with something like I don't know chocolate, I may just reach for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his ears aren't plugged now, so I think we're making progress. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you can you can gauge it gauge it in, in tiny steps by how horrified he is about the theme. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. That's uh, I don't know. I th- I think it would be, I think it would be worthwhile, but you know that's me, sitting uh, an ocean away, without having to do any of the work myself. Uh, so no, it's but easy I, for me to say. But actually, you know, challenges are interesting. Things sure, that sure. actually you can't, you shouldn't be able to do. Then I'm quite interested. I go, no, that oh, okay, right. How can we get that? So it is still that. But yeah. it has the vernacular of Star Trek, uh, the themes we've known and loved over the years. So, hmm. I think it could be worth it. Uh, so I'm going to do something now that I didn't remember to do last time. Uh, and I think it would be pertinent uh, to ask if you are working on anything now that you can talk about. Because I'm sure that there's probably... There's always some things that people who work in the entertainment industry are working on that they can't talk about uh, for for various reasons. But are you are you working on anything that you can say anything about? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure. The answer is I'm not sure right now. We've just finished recording um, something uh, with um, a fairly big name director. Uh, no. I can't. Can, I, I probably, maybe, can, you, can you say stuff? I'm. Can you say stuff like I'm working on something with people's names that you've heard of? Yes, stuff def- like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll definitely know the <laughs> composer. You'll definitely know the director. Um, uh, they're both male. That's probably a, uh, about as much. That stuff. is narrowing it down. Yeah, too much. There's, yeah. There's already there's already people creeping over your windows, looking inside, making sure you don't say too much about something. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's very true. I mean, I'd, I'd really liked it, but I, you know, whatever it was, I really enjoyed working on it. It was um, one of those projects that just, you thought, yeah, this is just so right for what we're doing, and everyone seemed to be moving in the same direction for it, so it was a, it was a pleasure to do whatever the thing it was that I've just done. <laughs> <laughs> It must be, oh, it must always be so much fun to be able to talk about it in those terms. Uh, the thing I may or may not have done, well, I definitely did do it, but you can't know about it. But trust me, it's great, and you'll find out eventually, but I can't tell you when. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it must always be fun to be so secretive. Um, well, yes, there any place... I, oh, yes, I mean, all of these things, like, you know, Doctor Who and things, once you start working, you just can't say anything about it. You can barely say you're sure. working and uh, and Harry Potter. I mean, the, the secrecy involved was huge on that. But yet, I sort of wanted to go. But if you go to a bookshop, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that you are not privy to the ongoings of you know what they're doing on a show like Doctor Who, particularly. Um, or I'm, I'm, I'm no, again, we're, we're, making we're, assumptions. We're, no, the music because the music is very late in. 
yeah, you in, have to in every production what they've made. Yeah, you know, we we certainly see it ahead of time, but um, we're nowhere near the the front of the curve in terms of so story development you, and characters and things. Do you ever have people trying to pick at you then, trying to get some information about? What's going to happen before it happens? Uh, any I of mean, that sort of stuff? Are you lucky to? I was, was going to say, there's someone sitting to my left who has been known to ask questions. <laughs> I, I, I'm guilty. I mean, very. He once, he once played a really cruel prank on us for <laughs> April Fools. <laughs> okay, go on then. I can't exactly. I can't exactly remember like what you told us. Okay, what I said was. Uh, now I'm trying to think. Yes, it was who the new Doctor... And I said um, this was before they announced who the new Doctor would be. Or no, it'd be Jody. Before Jodie Whittaker. Right. And, uh, but we knew uh, Peter Capaldi was leaving. Yes. And so on April the 1st... Uh, do you have April Fool's Day in the States? We do indeed, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and you'd even... Harry had been asking me the night before as to... Uh, you're not going to catch me out. Are you going to try and catch me out? Pfft. How could I possibly? No, of course. How not. could I? You're too smart for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, it, you don't do it at the beginning of the day when everyone's on their toes. So it was a bit later in the morning, uh, and uh, I'd had a phone call, uh, or I made out I had a phone call, and uh, I said, uh, "Oh, you never guess who that was." And they went, "What? Who? Who?" I said, "It was Murray. Murray Gold, who's the composer on Doctor Who," mm. uh, and he just said. Uh, that they've, it's been leaked who the new Doctor is going to be, and they're going to be announcing it tonight on the BBC at 6 o'clock. They're, they're, they're clearing the schedules, and they're just going to do a special programme because it will otherwise yes. it'll be in the Sunday papers the next day. And got to get ahead of the story. Exactly. Yeah. Got to get ahead of it. Um, and so, uh, you know, Murray's told me who it is. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, but uh, do you want to know? <laughs> And they go, yeah, yeah. I said, look, are you sure you don't want to wait till six o'clock? No, 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 fine. I said, well, he's, text- he's texted it to me. Mm. And so they went, all right, show me, show me, show me. So I got my phone and turned to face them. And it said on it, April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> and so child uh, number one went, no, I can't. And the other one went, show me, show me. Of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm. I'm. I guess you should just be lucky that they didn't think it was some actress named April. April. Fool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stop googling her. Like, oh, who's she? What has she been in? Was she in Faulty Towers too? No. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> um. So is <laughs> is there um uh, anywhere that you would want to direct people to go if they wanted to learn more about you or what you do or what you've worked on or anything like that? Um. IMDB is a fairly good place for mm-hmm. most information on most things. I have my own website, uh, which I think is alistairking.me.uk, mm-hmm. but it might be not that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a pretty good start. There's some, probably some bits and pieces on YouTube and things. And Yeah, I think we have you in the show notes. We have your website linked, so people okay. can uh, click on... People will be able to click on that, and uh, they can learn more about what you do in your career, and presumably uh, future projects that, once they are released, 
<laughs> we could know about. <laughs> yes. So essentially past projects at that point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Things yeah. that you've already done. You'll yeah. already be working on something new probably at that point. Uh, I guess that's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, I would imagine that's how it is for, for many. Perpetually talking about things that they filmed or worked on months and months ago. Uh, they're already working on new stuff, but uh, they have to talk about uh, projects they'd done uh, probably seemingly forever ago. Uh, yes, I'd I, imagine that's kind of weird. It's just something you're used to, but also yeah, yeah, they yeah. go, are you working on anything? And actually, if it's a new uh, show that people don't know about, you can sort of talk about it, but uh, if you're allowed to, but it wouldn't have any resonance with them, really, because they don't know what it is, whereas they say, have you sure. worked on anything? You say, Harry Potter. <gasps> Harry Potter. And suddenly people have seen it, and then they might have uh, questions for you or opinions to share or or anything like that so in some What's ways daniel radcliffe talking... like in real life you know things like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i don't know if you get those questions um but i mean i'd i'd have a bunch of questions i don't know how many people are interested in and in hearing us just talk about what it's like to work on the, the music for for feature films but i'm totally interested in it um i'm i'm still pretty sure uh uh, if you're interested, that we'd love to have you back on Who Made Who to talk about your time on that show uh, as well. And we totally need to do, because uh, we, we haven't done an episode of that since uh, Peter Capaldi's last episode. Uh, mm. And the plan is not to do another one until uh, the next series starts. So and there's, there's a slight gap still uh, to be had in between those. So if you're interested... And coming back, we'd love to have you back to talk uh, about your time working on Doctor Who. And there's a a, a million things uh, to talk about. As I think I'm just about as musically linked with that show as I am with Star Trek. Uh, it's like that Star Trek and Star Wars and Doctor Who are like the the three pieces of entertainment that I'm most musically uh, connected to or um, fascinated by. So. If you'd be interested, we'd love to have you there. No, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I'd love working on Doctor Who for the uh, time I spent on it. So, no, I'd be very happy to talk all about it. Did you work on that show as a as a fan of the show as well? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I grew up with Doctor Who. So I was, I was a fan as a child. And then uh, when it came back, uh, it, it was terrific then. But also I was able to, you know, we're talking about watching new things and sharing them with your children and that's exactly yep. what Doctor Who was it was a wonderful shared experience for the family we all enjoyed it uh, I mean it, it was just brilliant from the word go and then to kind of get a call uh, to say what about to help out and work on the show uh, it, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think I didn't have to think too long and hard about it to be honest can imagine yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and I've been a huge fan of, of the work Murray had done on the show as well so I mean that that was a real yeah, that I, was a real pleasure uh, yeah you redefined the sound yeah absolutely of what Doctor Who uh, sounds like and, and, and I mean not just redefined it but def and ultimately did define it for a whole new generation of uh, people who grew up or are growing up watching you know that show so, yeah, I'm excited to dig in and talk about that, too. So, uh, awesome. I'm going to – we'll we'll talk later and and mark it down on a calendar at some point uh, when, when that seems uh, feasible for your work schedule. Uh, I guess, though, that is it. Unless there's anything else that you wanted to talk about, I think we've covered 
the bases pretty well. I think so. Yeah. If there's any more, I guess someone could always ask. But I think, yeah, I think we've talked a fair amount and, and people can listen and, and maybe listen in a different way, hopefully. You know. I think so, too. Uh, uh, well, again, thank you so much for letting me use your version of the Discovery theme. I I, I mean, I've, I've told you before how much I love it. And uh, I'm. it's so weird to me that it just came from wanting to do it for fun, which is the best way to accidentally cause happiness in people because I really love that theme. So, uh, well, yes, we, we should say, we should say that the really big thank you to Jeff Russo for writing it. Of course. Yeah. It wouldn't have um, happened without his score. Yeah, absolutely. So congratulations, Jeff. Thank you very much. Have you given all of us pleasure? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Harry, thanks for joining us. It's okay. Thanks for having me. And Alistair, it was great talking to you again as well. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, see, I told you it wasn't all that bad. Uh, I think we did okay uh, in the interview. Um but, uh, yeah, we're going to hopefully have Alistair back again on Who Made Who to talk about his work. Uh, he worked, I think, for two years on uh, on Doctor Who, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I can't wait to do that. That's going to be a ton of fun as well, and that'll be something to do to sort of fill the gaps in between now and when Doctor Who comes back on TV. So there you go, a little uh, mid-season break in between seasons one and two of Star Trek. I hope you enjoyed uh, that is it for this week's episode. Head on over to the website to check out the archives of the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music or Stitcher. Wherever good podcasts are made available, just search for I'm a Doctor, Not a Podcast, and hit subscribe. And uh, that way you can check us out when we return sometime soon, I hope, to talk about Season 2, whatever Episode 1 is of Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm.